0: I believe God sent the Windrush generation who would have brought so much life to the Church of England. And on the whole, they went to church and the vicar said to them, thank you for coming, please don't come back. And that was a horrific sin. It was a sin against them. It was a racist sin, but it was also a sin against the Holy Spirit because they they had the potential to bring the life of the Spirit into the church. And since then, there's been 70 years of exile. And the Church of England has been in in much sharper decline. And um, as someone said to me, me recently, when the streams come together, there will be revival. The Profile, with Premier Christianity
1: magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio, I'm Emma Fowle. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and their ministry. It is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity, the UK's leading Christian magazine. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, as well as all of the latest news, reviews, columnists and much more. Plus there's great new digital content uploaded daily to our website, premierchristianity.com. To get full wherever you are in the world, there are print and digital subscription options available. Get the magazine delivered directly to your door here in the UK or access all of the latest content via your computer, smartphone or the Premier Christianity app. Head over to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe for more information. On today's show, I'm speaking to Reverend Nicky Gumbel. Known to many as the face of the Alpha Course or the voice of the Bible in One Year app, Nicky is also the vicar of Holy Trinity Church in London, or HTB, as it is known to many. This month, after 17 years, Nicky is handing over the running of the largest Anglican congregation in England to his successor, Archie Coates. Alongside HTB, Nicky is at least as well known for building the Alpha Course, a 10-week introduction to Christianity that now boasts over 30 million attendees across the world, into a global brand. Although he's at pains to point out that he did not start Alpha, all the church planting that HDB is also known for, it's undeniable that they, as well as things such as the annual HDB Leadership Conference, have flourished under his watch. In this interview, Nicky tells us the story of how, as an argumentative atheist, he found a faith in God at university. He talks about the highs and lows of Christian leadership and what comes next as he enters, in his own words, his most productive decade yet.
0: So... Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, my father was a refugee here, um, he ha- was Jewish, secular Jew, and he escaped from the Nazis in the 1930s, came over here, uh, he was a lawyer, and he met my mother uh, after the war, He I joined uh, the army as a private in 1942, he was a lieutenant colonel in 1945, interrogating Nazi officers. And then he um, continued to practice as a barrister. He met my mother, who was also a barrister. They were on opposite sides of a case. And uh, he was 49 when he got married, so he was in his 50s when I was born. But neither of my parents went to church. So, I, and as a teenager, I became an atheist um, and was quite an argumentative atheist. But I went when I went to university. I uh, well, I was next door rooms to Nikki Lee i now married to Sila Lee, um, who ran the marriage course, um, and they uh, had secretly been exploring faith. Um, And when they came back and told me that they'd become Christians, I thought I'd help them out. So I decided to explore for myself, and that led to me reading the New Testament. And that's how I encountered Jesus at the age of 18 in my first year at
1: university. When you say help them out, were you interested in what they were learning or or did you think you were going to um, save them from the... Yes, rescue
0: them, rescue them. I mean, they were so nice. I didn't want them to end up doing something daft, but uh, it ended up the opposite to what I'd expected.
1: And, And you found yourself drawn towards the person of Jesus that you found there in Scripture.
0: Yeah. Well, as I read the New Testament, it was as if the person I was reading about emerged from the pages and I encountered him and it was a life-changing experience. I, I sort of realized it was true, but I didn't want to be a Christian because I thought that would be the end of all the fun in life. I thought I could put it off to my deathbed, but then I didn't think that was much integrity about that. So I basically just said, well, okay, and I said, yes. And at that moment I experienced life. Life in all its fullness, as Jesus said, it was like as if I'd had a spiritual hunger that I was unaware of, that was satisfied in that moment.
1: Sounds a lot like um, C.S. Lewis's story, really, doesn't it? You're a bit of a reluctant convert, too.
0: Yes, I was a very reluctant convert. Uh, yes, I mean his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, is definitely was definitely my experience. I was so surprised uh, that that it was joyful. I thought it was going. I did think like like I think C.S. Lewis said he. He thought it would be a sort of miserable life. You just have to do it because um, everything that I associated with church was miserable. So I thought, you know, if I'm a Christian, I'm just going to be miserable and life's going to be no fun. But I hadn't realized that Jesus is such fun. Actually the stuff that I was doing was so superficial and actually never didn't really satisfy the inner longings of our hearts. I, I mean, I think, Every human being is looking for three things. Uh, every human being is looking for love. And as one young woman in our online Alpha Small Group said, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. All, she said, all my life I've been searching for love, but then I realized I've been looking at all the wrong places, in impossible places. And then when she encountered Jesus, she found she was love. And that's what I think I I found. I found love. I found that I was loved by by the son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And I experienced with the Holy Spirit, the love of God being shed abroad in my heart. And that is a life-changing experience. And the Christian life is very simple. It's about knowing that you're loved and loving God. We love because he first loved us and loving other people, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your enemy. that At the heart of it, you want to sum up what Christian faith is about apart from the word Jesus it's about love. So that's the first thing everyone's looking for. Second thing everyone's looking for is purpose. And ultimately my life before had no ultimate meaning or purpose. I was always looking for the next thing, the next, you know, the next experience, the next relationship, the next this, but actually none of those things satisfy that inner hunger, that hole in the soul as one woman described it to me that emptiness that's deep inside. And that's what I found when the relationship with Jesus, that, that life has a meaning and a purpose. Because if there is no God, there is no ultimate purpose to life. There is no ultimate meaning. We're just a random collection of, of cells. But that is not the end of the matter. There is such a thing as good and evil. There is a moral world out there. There is such a thing as love. There is such a thing as altruism. And that means there is something beyond the physical and therefore life does have a purpose and this life is not the end. And the third thing uh, I dis- that I discovered that again, every human being needs is to belong. You know, I had so many friends beforehand, but within a very short time, I had relationships much closer than I'd ever had before. And there's something about uh, encountering the community of Jesus that is totally unique. There's a closeness of relationship that I had never experienced before. And although I had so many friends, I think at heart I was lonely. Um, and that aloneness, a sort of cosmic loneliness was satisfied by a relationship with God and by the community, this amazing community. I mean, Nikki and Silla um, are still our best friends um, and that's 48 years later. There's a closeness in those relationships. And so many of those friends that we had at that time are still our our closest friends. Mm. Um, And we've had, it's an amazing community. But likewise, in our small group last night on Alpha, the closeness of friendship in that group after seven weeks is extraordinary in the sense of belonging. Everyone was saying in our small group last night, we want to form a WhatsApp group together because they, they love each other. They want to carry on meeting together. It's just such a diverse group who would never normally have met but they have formed such close friendships and that's the belonging that everyone is searching for.
1: It's interesting, it's, it's lovely to hear you talk so warmly about the Christian family and, and Christian community. I, I've never been to a, a church of your size so when I when I've come across friends that, that go to large churches that manage multiple sites and thousands of people and still manage to create that that sense of community and closeness I'm always really fascinated because it it feels like sort of such a difficult thing to conjure in those circumstances but it, it sounds like that's always been very much part of the DNA of of what HTB is would that be fair to say? Yes I
0: think so I mean they uh very close friendships at the heart of the church. So many people have been part of the team here. Nikki and Silla have been involved here since 1976. We've been, we've been involved for 46 years. And there are others who've been involved at least, for, you know, newcomers who've been here only 20 years. But there's that, that sense of real community at the heart of the church. And then in the connect groups, you, you meet with a group of 10 people and you know, we, we meet every, well every week now to pray with a group of people that um we laugh so much I and mean, we we should pray more but we spend most of the time laughing um there are lots of ways that you can experience community even in in a larger church
1: hdb has been your home literally your entire christian life hasn't it yes yes it happens, it's, really, it's yes. where you started coming as a new christian it's where yeah. you served as a curate and then as vicar yes. it has- been your entire life so does it feel at all daunting now all these years on to be looking at stepping away from that how are you finding going into this like last period of your ministry
0: well I I will I will miss the congregation here because I love the congregation here but the reason that we that we are changing role is because I think I felt uh what I believe is a calling to focus on, first of all, Alpha, on the 2033 vision. I'm sure you have the 17th of April, 2033, in your diary, Emma, do you have it? Is it is it, it that date firmly fixed in your diary? Is it uh, okay to
1: admit to you that it's not, Nikki? <laughs> <laughs> you can know, explain to me what's important about
0: that. <laughs> uh, 17th of April is Easter Day, 2033, which, as you will know, will be 2,000 years from the 2000th anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus Mm -hmm. and the Great Commission that, that followed shortly after that. And what we would love to do is to play our part in seeking to make the gospel available to everyone on the planet by 2033. So the Bible translators are working on getting the New Testament into every language in the world and they will have it by 2033 they will have it in 99.996% of the languages in the world and 25 chapters of the New Testament in every language in the world. And so there's a collaboration between the Bible translators, then there's people like Rick Warren, Rick Warren is working on um, getting a Bible, a believer and a body of Christ in every people group around the world by 2033. And our part in it is to try and make Alpha available to everyone on the planet by 2033. So that's going to involve the new film series, which we're working on, already have been working on for a couple of years, but, but we're going to have to really focus on the filming of that. Um, and that will take place, next, God willing, next summer. and will involve 10 international trips just for the filming. Uh, we're to, hoping to visit all the church plants. Uh, we have 127 church plants now. Children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And many of them I've never been to. And some of them I have been to, but haven't been to for a bit, and longing to go and see them and see how they're doing. So we have so many friends from HDB who planted out over the years. And so we'll be revisiting, We're we'll visit seeing again old friends, part of the community. Again, it's this this sense of belonging and longing to see all these amazing people who planted churches, so brave. Some of them going to very, very difficult situations in very deprived areas and doing amazing things. And I'm longing to go and see what they're doing. I'm longing to get back into visiting the prisons. You know, that, I used to do that quite a bit and time pressures haven't done that very often in the last few years. I'm longing to get back into going to see what's happening in our um, Asia-Pacific office in Kuala Lumpur, um, and uh, seeing what they're doing out there. Longing to get to to an Alpha conference in the US, there have been Alpha conferences every year in the US, but I haven't been able to go. And next year, we're going to the Alpha conference in Fort Lauderdale in January. I've got the privilege of preaching at the Garden Tomb uh, on Easter Day 2023. So with 10 years to go, we can launch this initiative from the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem. Um, And then the Leadership Conference uh, in May will be back in the Royal Albert Hall. And again, I'll be able to focus on that. And then again, it's gonna be live streamed. So there's so much that I'm excited about and want to focus on. Uh, The Bible in one year, still there's so much to do on that. Um, So it's really a change of role the, the big difference will be we won't be attending HTB. We'll still be members of HTB. We're not leaving HTB in that sense, but we won't be attending Archie Coates, who as you know, is taking on that role and is absolutely brilliant. But Archie and Sam need space. They don't need the old vicar around. So we won't be, we won't be around HTB. If we're ever in London, we will be, but we'll be attending um, uh, another of the churches rather than than here.
1: So there's going to be no sitting around at the allotment with your pipe and slippers, it sounds like,
0: then? No, we'll be working for Archie Coates. We'll be doing whatever he asks us to do. At the moment, he's asked us to keep going with Alpha and to keep going with the church plants. And also, the other thing that I'm very excited about is back in 2004, we started planning a theological college together with the Bishop of London, first cohort were ordained in 2009, including our son Johnny, that has grown. But we now have two new streams for people trapped underground. One of the streams is for those trapped underground by racism, intellectualism and elitism, and that's called the Peter stream. And the other is for those trapped by sexism and ageism, and that's called the Caleb Stream. So, part of what Pippa and I will be doing in God Willing is hoping that to raise up the, the, the Peters and the Calebs. There's so many of them. Uh, as you know, the, the Church of, of England has a terrible history of which we are ashamed with the slave trade, involvement in the slave trade, and then rejecting the Windrush generation. And there are all these amazing people who uh, were turned away by the Church of England, Uh, but some of their grandchildren are on the Peter stream. Um, And uh, we want to see how we can work, not in a sort of takeover, but in collaboration and honouring of the children and grandchildren of those who were subject to horrific racism and discrimination it's not enough to repent of what's been done in the past. We have to put things right and we have to learn from. They have so much to bring. We have so much to learn. The ch- their churches are often thriving, um, uh, full of people. Sometimes they're having to rent Church of England buildings and that is, a, that is an injustice. Uh, so that, that's one thing I feel very passionately about and also intellectualism and elitism that has trapped underground brilliant people who uh, maybe are not academic, but they have high EQ, and they're brilliant leaders. They've been trapped by uh, social elitism and and intellectualism that suggests that if you haven't been to university, you, you haven't got anything to offer. Whereas Joe O'Sullivan, who left school at 13 with no qualifications, and has just been ordained on the Peter stream, has packed a church that hasn't been packed for 100 years because he's a brilliant leader. He's got very high EQ. Um, and which would you rather have, a vicar with several degrees, but no emotional intelligence, or a vicar with no university degrees, but high emotional intelligence? And I'm longing to see that those sort of people ordained in the Church of England. And then those who've been trapped by ageism, The most productive decade of your life, research from America has shown, is between 60 and 70. The second most productive decade is between 70 and 80. The third most productive is between 50 and 60. In Japan, they don't celebrate your 21st birthday. They celebrate your 60th birthday because that's when your life really starts. When the, the pension aid came out at age 70, life expectancy was 52. Now, the pension age is 66. And if you reach 60, your life expectancy is 85. So you've got 25 years. And society has not adapted to this. It's big. The church has certainly not adapted to it. So Caleb was still as strong at 85 as he had been in his youth. So there are 10 million people in this country aged between 58 and and 72. And 500,000 of them are part of the Church of England. So the vision is to find 6,000 Caleb's so that every Church of England church will have a focal minister. And these Caleb's are totally brilliant. They, are, they tend to be people who've been head teachers, bankers, an amazing man who's been a policeman for over 30 years, is now a chaplain to the hospitals, He's absolutely brilliant, and he's one of the Calebs who will be ordained this year. So we had one the first year, eight the second year, and so far we've had 160 people interested in joining the Caleb stream this September.
1: Wow, that's low. So there's obviously a lot of older people out there that are still like, we've got something to offer the church, and at the moment we don't feel there's a way for us to to do that.
0: Exactly. So the Guardian ran an article, a weekly article, Life Begins at 60. There was an article about a man who had been a teacher all his life, but what he really loved was magic. So when he retired from being a teacher, he became a magician. Um, and he said, I love teaching, but I love being a magician even more. Oh. How many people are there in the church who love their job as a teacher, A police woman, uh, a train driver, a shop assistant, whatever. But what they've really loved is ministry in their local church. Maybe they've been a church warden. Maybe they've been involved on the ministry team. um, Maybe they've been doing marriage counseling. That's what they really love. Just like when I was a a barrister, but what I really loved was ministry. Mm -hmm. And then when I got ordained, I got to do it full time. But supposing. All your life, you've been a lawyer up till the age of 60, and then you, um, you retire from that. You've still got another 25 years in which you can do full-time ministry. So uh, there was an article in The Times about it, and as a result, um, and I put that out on Facebook, and as a result, we've had these 160 people, and they're all brilliant. They're, they're a mixture of women who felt cool to ordination but weren't allowed to get ordained because it wasn't allowed up uh, when they were young. There are people who are LLM, licensed lay ministers, they've already trained for this, but they're not ordained, they're not able to give communion, they're not able to do marriages and funerals. Um, And then there are people who are actually running their local church, just that they're not ordained. It's one year of training and selection at the same time, Um, and in a year's time they can be ordained. So at the moment you sometimes have, the biggest one is one vicar with 29 parishes how can you run 29 parishes? But uh, but quite commonly, they'll have 10 or 12. And the evidence shows that in multi-benefices, the churches tend to decline. Whereas when they have a focal minister, they tend to grow. So in you're that, talking about
1: one minister per church?
0: Yes. So one priest, I'd say, one person who can do, this, do communion, can do the sacraments, can do baptisms, weddings, funerals, um, can wear a dog collar and go around and visit people, visit the sick and take people communion and um, just care for the whole village. Um, One focal minister per church. So if you had 6,000 calebs, then you could have one, every village could have its own focal minister. And the church will go back to being the center of the village life rather than just the pub. You could have the pub and the church And the church could be the center of village life. It could be where the the collection takes place for for the Ukrainian refugees, where clothes are collected and food is collected. It could be the place where, I don't know, the post office runs. It could be the place where where they do Pilates classes on Saturday morning, where they do lunches for the elderly. It could be just the center of community with this, this focal minister, who loves those people, visits them, cares for them. And, uh, you know, the average congregation will go up from eight to 80, very fast. People will come back into the church because they'll love, when, when, you know, the first Caleb was a friend of ours, Anthony Goddard. He, he is absolutely brilliant. He had been a management consultant and a head teacher for 14 years, lay chaplain to, to the school, had preached regularly. People will flood back into the churches oh. once we have these focal ministers in every church.
1: So it sounds really interesting because I think a lot of people um, would associate HDB with church planting over the last 15 years but but probably predominantly with a sort of quite an urban focus you know most people when we think of HDB plants we think of St Peter's and Gastry Street and, and those big urban centres but it sounds like what you're talking about now is is really tackling the decline in the rural church is that yes Well, understanding that well, right
0: it's it's both actually because when the article went into the Times about the Caleb uh, stream, a retired clergyman in his 80s wrote a letter to uh, his local bishop saying, please may the reaction of the church not be a yes, but. And also the other thing he said, he thinks it's a brilliant scheme, um, definitely rooted in the sort of the historic mission of the church and the theology of the church. But he said the one criticism he had of it was that it shouldn't just be for rural churches; it should be for urban churches as well. So I, I thought that was a very interesting uh, point, and I'm sure it will be for urban churches as well. But I think predominantly it will be for rural churches. There are so many of these rural churches that don't have regular services of Holy Communion, for example, because the priest can't round to them um, because he's got so many churches but they would love to have their own focal minister. So it will be for both. Um, But if it was just that, the the leadership of the church would get older and more middle class because these people are are, are not being paid. They're SSMs, they're they're self-supporting ministers. They're people who have a pension. But the Peter stream, uh, which is the other stream, which goes hand in hand with the Caleb stream, is for people trapped by racism, and is predominantly um, at the moment African and Caribbean, but also people who have been uh, like Joe Sullivan, the example I gave. Uh, now he's thirty years old. Um, but the first thing, first exam he passed was to get into to get ordained, but he passed all of the things with as outstanding because he is outstanding. But so that will be much younger. Um, much more diverse um, and these two go together so at St Melititus where they're training at the moment the Caleb's pastor the Peters because they've got so much wisdom they've got years of minister experience, years of life experience you know if you've been a head teacher you you know about life if you've been a policeman for 30 years you, you've got a lot of experience which you can bring to these younger Peters. But the Peters inspire the Calebs so that you've got generational wealth. And we need both the older people and the younger. We need the strength of the younger and the wisdom of the older. Um, So if you bring all this in, then you've got such great leadership coming into the church, hopefully working together with the Pentecostal churches. When the streams come together, there'll be revival. I, I, I believe with the Windrush generation, we started an exile. The Church of England had been in very gradual decline from about 1910 to 1950. Then there was a blip. It actually grew in the 50s, post-war, Billy Graham, Haringey. um, It was starting to look good. And then, I believe, God sent the Windrush generation who would have brought so much life to the Church of England. And On the whole, they went to church and the vicar said to them, thank you for coming, please don't come back. And that was a horrific sin. It was a sin against them. It was a racist sin, but it was also a sin against the Holy Spirit, because they they had the potential to bring the life of the Spirit into the church. And Mm -hmm. since then, there's been 70 years of exile. And the Church of England has been in, in much sharper decline. And Um, As someone said to me me recently, when the streams come together there will be revival and I believe that. When we work in collaboration and partnership with the people who were rejected at the time of Windrush, when they come back then there will be revival.
1: One of the things I've always really valued actually from the times I've been to HTB events like the Leadership Conference is the way in which you, you seem to very purposely bring a very wide section of church together from, I can remember coming to one event in the Albert Hall where there was a, um, I don't know what denomination he was, but he was some kind of monk or friar. And then you I had Christian Kane from, from you know, he was some background on the same stage. And, 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 I, and I remember being really impacted by that and thinking, well, wow, this is this is really, there, there's not many um, conferences and events you go to that, that brings such a wide range of church denominations together, especially when one of them is the established church, the Church of England. Is that, that seems to be, from what you're saying, incredibly intentional about the way that you see the role of the church working together in bringing revival.
0: Yeah, I, at that conference, we had uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, the head of the Catholic Church, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the preacher to the Pope, Father Raniero Cantalemessa and Joyce Meyer, um, uh, as well as many others. Christine Kane, I think, was there as well. Yeah, um, so we had just such variety. It's the beauty of the church, that's what I love. I love the Catholic Church. I love the Pentecostal Church. I love the Orthodox Church. I love you know, I love all the bits parts of the church, but I think our vision is to see the re-evangelization of the country, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society, and to play our part in that. And for that to happen, there has to be unity in the church. Jesus prayed that we would be one in order that the world will believe. In other words, if we're not one, the world won't believe. And when we come together in unity, something very, very beautiful happens. Revelation uh, 7, verse 9. In the new heaven and the new earth, before the throne of God, is every tribe, every language, every nation, worshipping together. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is it in heaven? Diversity is not eliminated, it's celebrated. Mm -hmm. So on earth, we should be working towards the celebration of diversity. And when you get diversity, it is really beautiful. There's a verse in Ephesians where Paul is praying for this unity of the church, um, and he says, "When this comes together, when the church all comes together, you will see the manifold wisdom of God." And the Greek word there is polypoikolos, and it's a it's a hapax legomena. It's, it's a word which only appears once in the New Testament, and it also appears in the Septuagint. That's the the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Old Testament. And it appears once in the Septuagint. And it's the word used to translate Joseph's coat of many colors. So the polypoikolos, wisdom of God, is like Joseph's coat. It's very varied. It's very diverse. It's very beautiful. Every color of the rainbow is represented. So the Church of Jesus Christ is meant to be like that. It's meant to be all the different parts of the church. If you, if you lose the Catholic church or the Pentecostal church or the Orthodox church or the Salvation Army, it, it loses something. If you lose any nation, you lose something. If you lose any any kind of diversity, racial diversity, ethnic diversity, gender diversity, all these things make up the polypoikos, the manifold wisdom of God that is beautiful for the world to see. That's what we want to see on earth as it is in heaven. So that's that's why we try and bring people together in a, there's a little sign of that at these conferences. So people can look out and say, wow, this is like heaven. There's every nation represented here, every um, part of the church represented here.
1: So let's let's do a little bit of a retrospective over your uh, couple of decades at HTB then. I mean, I don't think there's many Christians that are not aware of the alpha course these days i mean it's it's gr- i know you didn't start it but under your leadership has grown exponentially the the church planting how many church planters did you say you've got now
0: 127 uh, church plants that are either children grandchildren or great grandchildren
1: so that that's have, a that's a phenomenal number isn't it the first one was st peters in 2005 Well, the
0: first uh, no st peters um was the first one outside of london okay the church planting I didn't start any of these things church planting started from here in 1985 when actually john collins was vicar and then sandy continued it and grew church planting i've just tried not to mess up what they started alpha i didn't start it started with um uh in 1977 it's a six-week course for new believers and uh, uh, so many people have been involved in the development
1: Yes, that's very humble and, and uh, very gracious of you. But I think I think it's fair to say to to to, to at least celebrate your role in it, that you've overseen a, a period of phenomenal growth within and, and created an organisation that has done a huge amount for the church in the UK and around the world. Are there any secrets to that success? That it, it, it seems that HDB manages to do things that other churches don't manage to do. What, what is the secret to that
0: success? We, we've been incredibly blessed by the people who've been involved here. I mean, John Collins, who was here and still alive. I think he's 97 now. He laid a foundation here. Sandy in the 20 years was here, revolutionized so many things. He revolutionized worship, just informality, Um, all the things that have happened, church planting, um, and he showed us a model of leadership that that we all aspire to. And then we've just had an amazing team, Nikki and Silla Lee with the marriage course, Jeremy with the praying, Paul Cowley and Emmy Wilson with the prisons, Tom Jackson now with social transformation. And we've just had this amazing team of people. Craig Rochelle, who runs Life Church, came to speak at the last leadership conference we had at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, I said to him, How how many times do you preach every year? And he said, 48 times a year. Um, And then he said to me, How many times do you preach? I said, I preach twice a year, but I'm trying to cut down. (laughs) So uh, you know, it's that is how HTV has always been. It's never been about, it's always been about a team. And that's why I am so excited that Archie Coates is taking over because Archie is an outstanding leader. He planted, as you say, St. Peter's Brighton um, uh, with your friends, Tara and Johnny. Um, and as you know, he's done an absolutely outstanding job there. He was a wonderful associate vicar here. And I think the future, I feel so confident about the future of HDB in the hands of him and Sam. And they will take it to new new areas. They'll bring new things. They'll bring new life. They're they're twenty years younger. You know, there's like they'll bring they'll bring a whole lot of vitality, and um, they've got so many new ideas. And so, uh, and the team here will stay. Loads of people are, who who have been involved here will still be involved and and helping them and serving them. And I'm I'm going to be working for them, which I'm delighted. Um, in any way that he wants to deploy me, I will be there to serve him.
1: Was the plan that he would always come back to London to take this role? I,
0: I, and maybe the Lord's plan was that he would come. I'm sure the Lord's plan was, uh, but um, I, humanly speaking, these things are uh, are determined by the bishops and the church wardens and so on. But um, I'm I, all I can say is I am personally hugely delighted to be handing over. We're in the now in the in the sort of exchange zone Mm. Um, the baton is being handed over at this this moment so I'm still running as hard as I can till the end of August and Archie's up and running um, very hard as well so um, we're going to try not to drop the baton as we as we do the handover
1: yeah and and traditionally that is a period in church life where lots of people say oh this is really tricky it can go horribly wrong you know our own church went through a transition a couple of years ago which was incredibly positive and really a really great process and so many people around us kept asking us that question like how's it going how's everyone feeling you know are there any tensions um, and, and we felt incredibly privileged to be in the position to say genuinely like this is
0: which which going. church is that um, we, we must connect- learn from you which is, you? <laughs> Where is it?
1: i'm part of an aog church in weybridge called connect church
0: okay which, well, we yes. must learn from you what <laughs> what you did, and make sure that we follow what you did. Um,
1: well, I, was, I was going to ask you the same question. What What are your tips? So how are you How are you making sure that you navigate this well? And you know, you are releasing the things that God's asking you to. No, well,
0: I need I need to find out from you what you did. Where, where uh, there's a verse in Kings, one of my favourite verses. Um, in I think it's in One Kings twenty one or something. Um, it says, "He who puts his armour on." should not boast like him who takes it off. So don't boast about what you're about to do, only when you've done it. And I don't want to say anything about the handover, because um, once once, we, once we've once we done it, if we've done it, if it succeeds, um, I will then tell you what, what the things were that we did. But right now, I just want to learn from what you did with the Assemblies of God and find out,
1: I'll put you in touch with my old pastor, he can tell yeah. you all his stories. Yeah.
0: I want to learn how to do it, to do it well. We're, we are hoping to do it well. We're praying. We have a group praying. I can tell you one thing that we have. Every Monday morning, we have a group of people praying for the transition. Um, and that includes Sandy Miller, who was the vicar here, um, to whom I still go for wisdom. And I'm so grateful that he prays with us every, and, and advises Jeremy Jennings, who's headed up prayer here for at least 40 years. Um, He's on that group praying. Um, Jeremy and Millie, Sandy and Annette, Nikki and Silla, who are uh, also praying. Mark elson who's been here, Tricia Neal, and Archie, um, who's coming to to lead. We all pray together. uh, And the church wardens here are invited also to to pray. And we're, we're just praying and praying that the transition goes well um because we need god's help and god's spirit so i think that's that's the only thing i i think um i can definitely say is a good thing whatever happens it's a good thing to pray
1: so tell tell us about you know a, a couple of the highs and lows of leading a church like HCB over a couple of decades. Are there are there any standout moments? You're like, this this was a real joy for me. This I this I see as a real you know highlight. Or uh, conversely, what what have been the things that you found hardest through this period?
0: A failure is is hard when you have a plan that fails, um, and I've had several of those. Um, we've had two building plans that have, have um, have failed. And that's always a huge disappointment. But I think at a much deeper level, it's the tragedies of life. You know, For me, the, the hardest time was when I was playing squash with my great friend, Mick Hawkins, who was the church warden here. I was 41, he was 42. And he played a fantastic forehand. He turned to play a backhand and he dropped dead, and that was of a heart attack, leaving six children. And, you know, I cried out to God to save him, and he died. Um, and that was really, really hard. Um, uh, I still don't know why God allowed that to happen. His children were aged six, between six and 16, um, and he left uh, a wonderful widow, um, Zill who became the church warden in his place. Um, and those six children are absolutely wonderful. I've married five of them. Two of them are on the staff here and they're an amazing family, but I still don't understand why Mick died. And it, it leaves a hole and those, those are the hard times, but they're also the times you grow most probably in, in character. And I, you know, often think of that, that verse, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So people say, you know, how do you grow in character? Well, one way is suffering. Sadly, that is, that is the truth. We can't avoid suffering in this life, but that's of course we grow through the Holy Spirit. We grow through community. We grow through. Um, the, reading the bible we grow through prayer we go through uh, all, all kinds of things the sacraments and the word of god but probably the, the way we grow fastest is through suffering so yeah there have been some very um difficult times um and life is full of problems you never there's never a time when there aren't problems um and setbacks and difficulties battles and as rick warren always says they run on two tracks you have it's not that you have a period of blessing and a period of battles you all the time there are blessings and there are battles um, and we've been hugely blessed in so many ways by the things that have happened here um, and you know, highlights are always our church holiday away focus is always like taste of heaven uh, the leadership conference at the Albert Hall have been amazing. Just so many, there's so many highlights. Every day there are, I love my job. Every day there are, are sort of wonderful blessings. I love Alpha. I love, you know, last night was a highlight for me, just going around the room and hearing the testimonies. But we had an Alpha Saturday and hearing the stories, hearing the guy who said, I became a Christian on Saturday. You know, it's just like, well, he said, I was I've been an atheist all my life. And then, close to not getting to to the point he's at now but then he became a christian on saturday um and he's just so full of the joy of the lord and um his friends cannot believe it he was offered a a cash in hand job on wednesday he says sorry sorry mate i can't do it i've got church the guy went sorry is that you did you did you say am am i speaking i'm speaking to you so now i've got church and then the guy went Did you said church it's a wednesday it's not sunday so yeah I'll go to ch- i'm doing this thing called alpha and you know it's like oh you joined a cult <laughs> no no i haven't i've, I've become a christian so yeah you know, it's just so wonderful it's wonderful to hear the stories and to see the changed lives it's just Every, so every Wednesday is a highlight for me. Every Alpha weekend is a highlight.
1: Would you describe yourself as a, a glass half full type of person, generally, would you say? I,
0: I feel so blessed. Um, you know, I feel so blessed by life. I feel so blessed by marrying someone who would have made anybody happy. Um, I feel blessed by our children are wonderful. I feel blessed by our grandchildren. I feel blessed by uh, having a job I've absolutely loved. The best job in the world. Uh, There's nothing like, I mean, I was a a lawyer for 10 years. I love my job, but I love this even more. It's just a wonderful blessing to have the privilege of praying for people and um, bringing good news. What could be better than that?
1: One of your church values I read on your website is um, the word audacious, which I love. Is that a driver in, in any way? In terms of the culture that, that has been created at HTV, whether it's you or your predecessors, that enables you to sort of look at these massive problems and say, we are going to do something about it and then you know crack on and do it. Is it just is it is there something in you or in the culture that is just that doesn't like to take no for an answer, that just wants to see things well, change? It's
0: the Lord. it's not, we're not on our own. Jesus said go and make disciples of all nations, and I am with you. If you've got Jesus with you, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. So it's, it's not that, that we've got the answers, but, but the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit's with you. Holy Spirit's with the assemblies of God. So nothing's impossible. God plus one is the majority. We're so blessed that, that we're not on our own. Jesus is alive. It actually happened. The resurrection happened. Jesus is alive. Jesus is with us. There is good news. This life is not the end. There is hope beyond the grave. We can be forgiven. We can have a new life. Love is real. Love is not a sort of construct. It's it's real. And uh, love changes lives. Jesus changes lives. The power of the spirit can set people free as he has done in half a small group from drug addiction. It's just like uh, people saying I gave up drugs two days ago. Like, yeah. And how do you feel? No, I didn't have any withdrawal symptoms. I've tried it before, but I've got I'm no withdrawal symptoms. I've been on drugs for 25 years and every day. And, and I've now I'm off and I feel totally different. It's like, that's the power of God power of jesus the power of the holy spirit so yes let's be audacious because we're not on our own god is with us jesus taught us to pray his kingdom come he didn't teach us to pray a prayer that cannot be answered we believe it will be answered his kingdom will come he taught us to pray that the name of jesus will be honored in this nation so let's believe it will be honored that his kingdom will come his will 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 be done. His will, we know, is for diversity of worship. Um, and that's going to happen because it's his will. And he taught us to pray his will be done. And he's with us. So let's go. Let's let's not be fearful. There's so many times in the Bible it says, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's like David and Goliath. You know, you, David facing Goliath could either say the, the problem's so big, uh, there's nothing I can do, or we can say Goliath's so big I can't miss, and so he he he, you know David overcame Goliath. Um, so let's look at the problems and don't let's say they're so big there's nothing we can do. Let's say they're so big we can't miss. At least we
1: can make some impact. That was Nikki Gumble speaking to me Emma Fowle here on Premier Christian Radio. We hope you enjoyed this interview. For hundreds more conversations just like this, you can download The Profile as a podcast. Just search for The Profile, wherever you normally get your podcast from, or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. You've been listening
0: to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.